So welcome to this edition of CNN Solved, presented by Hubbard Hall. I'm Tim Pennington, Editor-in-Chief at FinishingEncoding.com. And today, again, we're graced with the presence of Connor Calais, an application specialist at Hubbard Hall, who's going to be talking. Our topic is going to be today. What is it, Connor? Is it phosphates and pretreatments? Yeah, so um, we kind of have this general umbrella of conversion coatings. And within that, it's not so much a bifurcation between pretreatment or phosphating, but there are all sorts of different um, surface modifications that you can do. So you can implement them for pretreatment, for prepaint, or you can do um, those modifications for other mechanical properties as well. I'm Tim Pennington, and you're listening to Seen and Solved, brought to you by Hubbard Hall. Better results, less chemistry. Before we begin, I have a very important question. Tell me a fun fact about yourself. I know I've known you for a couple of years, actually spoke with you at a couple of conferences, but tell me something very interesting that people would not know about you, Connor. So um, probably about six, seven years ago now, I spent a semester in France studying wine and winemaking and, of course, wine tasting. And um, I was able to get or take my level one sommelier exam. Really? You spent a, how long there? Uh, I think I was there for five months. Right, really. That that sounds like you were just lost and traveling around. Yeah, it was supposed to be educational credits. <laughs> Real educational credits. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, there you go. Money well spent, by golly. <laughs> so uh, let's let's uh, really a level one and how is that the top level? No, 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 no. You Very got a long way to go. I could never get the top levels. Well, you're trying. I can assume, right? Yeah, I mean, every weekend I'll taste a couple more. You're right. Okay. So, and what's your what's your most recent favorite? Um, I've actually been drinking a lot of Walla Walla Syrah. Okay, from where? Walla Walla Valley in Washington State. Ah, okay. There you go. Okay. I, I was thinking the convenience store was it Walla. <laughs> so, okay, you confused me there for a bit. So, I was thinking, <laughs> the hell do you got to be to be a level one if you're gonna go to Wawa. But anyway, interesting. <laughs> well, we'll pick that up. That'll be another topic of another day. So, well, let's get back to our phosphates and, and our pretreatments. What's the difference? What's between those two? I've heard them used many different times, mm -hmm. uh, the same and different. Uh, clarify for us what those mean. So when we talk about conversion coatings, traditionally we're speaking of phosphates. Phosphates are um, obviously a phosphoric acid based solution um, that you apply typically to a steel surface. And what it does is it takes that smooth steel, reacts and creates um, some sort of phosphate crystal structure on the surface. Um, this increases basically the surface area um, available on a particular, let's say, let's say you had a square inch of steel and then you were to put this phosphate coating over it. Well, that surface area then becomes two, three, four X, the amount of available surface area as it creates different um, valleys and ridges through the crystal structures that are placed or that are formed on the surface of the part. So this pretreatment allows you to either get better paint adhesion or um, some surface rust protection or also some other mechanical properties such as like anti-galling or lubricity. And it, it's kind of like a softer coating that ends up being put on the surface of the part. And so it really does serve as both a surface modification and surface protector once it's applied. Right, right. Some people talk about pretreatment as just cleaning, right? Getting the surface ready, cleaning, but you're actually causing the formation of the surface to, to change just a bit, correct? Is that what correct? Correct. We're, yeah, we're taking, um, it's just like another coating 
almost, but we're basically putting a layer of microscopic crystals on the surface of the steel when we do this. So we're we're actually converting the top surface, the yeah, the top surface of any part, panel, steel, and we're creating basically a new layer on top of that right. with these pretreatment modifications. Gotcha. You know, you know, because it's funny, you mentioned the words conversion coatings. And I think that's again, people use those sort of interchangeable sometimes, right? Phosphating, conversion coatings, pretreatments. Uh, so I guess, you know, dependent upon what you're trying to do a little bit, those words are sort of synonymous a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and there and within this larger umbrella, there's a lot of different types that you have. So more traditionally, so the process kind of was, I guess, discovered or invented back actually in the early 1900s. Um, used to be called parkerizing, and it was done as a way to prevent parts from essentially just rusting. A lot of um, gun gun parts that would easily rust, they were able to do this, apply this onto there, and um, basically give it a much better anti-corrosion. They didn't the guns didn't jam as much because you had that anti-slip on there. And then over the years, they started figuring, hey, this is actually a good um, precursor or a primer almost to any sort of paint because instead of having this smooth surface you end up getting a really rough surface kind of like sandpaper almost where you have this higher grit on the surface that gives the paint more to hold on to right right so break it down for us why is this so important uh such an important step in, in the surface finishing process and and you know i guess that, to answer that i guess what benefits is it bringing uh, to a finisher and, and the process Sure. So um, kind of touching on a couple of things we said earlier. So if depending on what you're in use and your application will kind of guide you into the purpose of what this coating is for. A lot of times this is often used in a spray system where you would be going through a series of steps prior to going to a paint booth. So let's say we were doing it for a pre-paint system. You'd want to make sure you have like a, an effectively clean surface. Um, occasionally you'll need to do some sort of um, descaling or activation of the surface if there's a lot of scale on the surface of the part as well. Then you'll go into the active uh, phosphate chemistry, which is basically sprayed or immersed on. And um, once that solution comes in contact with the steel, it starts to form the different crystal structures. So you can have um, co-metals in there that kind of change which way or what type of crystal you're going to be forming, such as you can do a zinc phosphate. You can do a manganese phosphate or um, can even do an iron phosphate, which really just kind of takes the iron out of the bare metal itself to create the phosphate crystals that go on the surface. And then from there, you'd either go through a sealant stage or um, some sort of basically a flash rust inhibitor because this chemistry typically is on the acidic side. So you want to make sure that if you didn't get a hundred com complete coating or complete um, conversion of the surface, you want to be able to um, make sure that you're preventing any flash rust that occurs after leaving that particular area on its way to the paint booth because flash rusting can be an issue as well. Right. Are, are you finding most people are getting that right? I mean, when you're going in and seeing what they're doing, because um, it, it seems like there's a lot of variables, right? Uh, substrates and those type of things. Are they getting it right for the most part uh, of what they should be using? For the most part, yes. I'd say you know, it, it kind of depends shop to shop. Some some processes are very analytical and they want to make sure that everything's done to the highest degree. 
Um, those tend to be less problematic. And some people have been doing this or a variation of this process for decades. And as long as it's good enough, you're going to paint over it. They don't quite care all the time. So, so it kind of depends on the actual process. I mean, I think with any application, there's always some room for improvement um, to kind of get you back to the standard that you want to be at to make sure that you have consistency across the board every time. Um, so that, I don't know if that kind of answers that or not, but well, it does because I guess, yeah, I guess the, the end result would be whether they're getting rejects, you know, good adhesion, those type of things. They're going to know quickly if they're not doing it right. Absolutely. And then on the other side, since this is a large umbrella, sometimes you're not going to a paint booth, but you need this um, surface coating on a part because it needs to be um, not susceptible to corrosion in the field. So if you're doing sometimes or oftentimes with a zinc or a manganese coating, you need to make sure that you're getting a certain either coating weight or coating distribution to ensure that you have no voids basically on the, on the surface of the part. And those voids are ten, tend to be where you're going to have um, corrosion or rusting sort of stemming from. So one way we kind of um, quantify that was we'll do what we call coating weight analysis. So you basically take a part with a known surface area that you've already treated, get an analytical weight for that, thoroughly dry it before you do that. So that may, you're wearing just the bare component or steel in addition to the coating that's been applied to it. Then you use either chromic acid or a um, concentrated hydroxide and you can strip that coating off, thoroughly clean and dry it again and reweigh it. And then that net difference of the weight divided by the surface area of the part that you've been analyzing, you can derive a coating weight. And that's a uh, very important metric for a lot of applications. Right, right. You know, uh, there are many uh, different types of, of in classes of pretreatments, right? People talk about, uh, and I guess based on the variables. So let's talk about those different types and classes uh, of the pretreatments. Talk, take us through those. So um, traditionally, when people think of phosphates, I would say that they pretty much are going to be thinking of zinc or manganese phosphate. Um, zinc phosphate probably is more prevalent. Um, it's a little bit easier to use, a little easier to control. And within each of these categories as well, there's different types of um, divisions within those as well. So within um, traditional zinc oxide, or excuse me, zinc uh, phosphate, you have kind of a general product, which does just a standard typical zinc phosphate coating. Then you can also take from there and do a calcium modified version, which will give you basically a lower, more refined crystal structure on the surface. Um, and then there's also on the other side, you can use a really heavy zinc phosphate coating, which tends to be a little bit more um, raw, not quite as refined compared to the others. Um, but if you need a really heavy, heavy coating weight, you can use one of those as well. Um, if you really need a heavy coating weight though, ten, people tend to defer to using a manganese co-metal because the manganese phosphate does get you a really good crystal structure that has some bulk to it. Um, this is great for uh, a lot of engine components where there's gonna be metal on metal because the crystal structures that they end up putting on the part are um, kind of soft compared to the metal. So they give you some lubricity between them. They prevent galling from occurring. And they're also good at, when you do these surface modifications, you obviously, like I said, create a lot of valleys and ridges on the microscopic level. 
And those can really hold on to um, corrosion inhibitors as well. Um, since we have a lot of cavities, these uh, oil-based products can kind of seep into there and kind of bond almost, not really bond, but they really kind of form a good adhesion to the surface that you're working with. So you can really create a um, fairly corrosion resistant component using those coatings. Right. I was going to say, take me back a second. You mentioned galling. Define what that is and, and how that occurs. So gall yeah. Galling is basically anytime you have um, two metal components and they kind of have a shear against one another. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that shear can kind of, the friction between them can kind of build up and you get stress on the parts and it can, can lead to deformation basically of the metal at higher pressures. So anti-galling, which these coders provide, kind of provides some slip to them to where instead of kind of locking up or seizing or distorting the metal, you they'll more easily pass by one another, basically have a lower coefficient of friction. Right. And a lot of this we're talking about maybe, you know, internal combustion engines for automotive, those type of things, uh, you know, some aerospace and things like that, where you've got, where you got metal and metal a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Um, let, let's talk, take me through the actual steps uh, of applying this sort of uh, conversion coating. Well, how, what's the start? You know, what are all the steps that are involved in that? Sure. So um, with any component, you want to make sure that you have a really clean surface. So cleaning is always a critical aspect of any pretreatment that you're going to be doing. Um, depending on if this process is going to be spray or immersion, we'll kind of derive what sort of cleaner we want to use. Obviously, you, if you're doing a spray application, you don't want to have a high foaming cleaner because then all that's going to be carried down and just create more issues. Um, and when we're looking at the cleaner, we also want to analyze what sort of contaminants are going to be on the surface prior to. So if we're dealing with, um, let's say, tubes that were drawn, they may have some really tenacious lubricants like sterates that need to be removed chemically prior to going through with the rest of the active coating. Um, once you go through your cleaning process, you're going to make sure you have a thorough rinse and make sure that you get that surface as clean as possible. Oftentimes at this point, you start to have a really active surface, especially if you're using a really high or high pH or caustic cleaner. Um, occasionally between your cleaning step and your actual phosphating step, you'll need to have what we call either a conditioner or an activator, or sometimes there's a pre-dip that you need to use prior to. Um, this can be done for a number of reasons for um, iron phosphate in particular. Sometimes we want to make sure that we have the surface free from any scale because occasionally that can cause problems, especially on the iron phosphates and the zirconiums, the components where you're not going to be building a really heavy coating weight. You want to make sure that you minimize any surface scale on there. So we'd use either a conditioner or for some of the products like the manganese phosphate, you'll want to precede the surface with activation sites. So we'd use basically a, um, what we call a grain refiner. It seeds the surface with activation sites so the crystals can grow more densely together rather than just kind of grossly wherever it naturally would grow. Then um, we go through the actual active phosphating step for um, most of these processes. They can be done with immersion or spray um, and typically takes anywhere from a few minutes up to 20 minutes or so for that chemistry to react, depending on, of course, like we are saying, what type of phosphate coating you're going to be applying. From there, you'd go through a series of rinses also to make sure that you have all the chemistry that 
is left over, fully removed, and then you'd be going into a sealant or some sort of um, corrosion inhibitor as your last step. Right, right. You know, it's funny, you, you know, you mentioned these the steps and I know, you know, Hubbard Hall, Harperson, you know, using less chemistries. And do you find that some facilities that have problems, maybe they're, they've got a steps that they don't need in there or they're, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not doing it in the proper order or using or, or not following the proper protocols that are being used with that? Sure. I, honestly, in terms of using less chemistry, what we see the most is um, just not proper maintenance or adequate care of the baths that they have. And that causes them to have to dump them way more frequently than they normally would. Um, particularly with some of the more, I don't want to say problematic, but the more dynamic products like a manganese phosphate, you have several different factors and they can kind of get wonky or go out of um, operating parameters if you're not controlling them and taking care of them um, or using them frequently enough. And sometimes they get beyond the point of resurrection and if people just, it's easier to dump it and start over rather than if they took time and made sure on a regular basis that they're maintaining these chemistry levels, making sure that they stay within range. That way they could um, be able to save this chemistry and use it for a lot longer. We have some people that are using a manganese bath for six to 12 months at a time before they have to uh, decant and recharge. Another issue we see a lot, particularly with immersion lines is, um, Kind of have this balance between wanting to run this process efficiently enough to where you are maintaining a consistent process and also not allowing any um, corrosion or rust to occur while you're in between steps so when, during your transfer time but sometimes speeding that up too much you'll really lose a lot of your chemistry due to drag out so whenever you're designing a process you really want to kind of look at all the factors involved what type of parts you're going to be running. How are you going to be racking them or processing them in a barrel? If you're running parts that have like concavities or cups to them, you want to make sure that you're doing those in a barrel process efficiently enough to where that excess chemistry can drain out back into your tank rather than being carried out and lost into a rinse or something. So there's a lot of different areas that you want to look at to make sure that we're conserving the chemistry that we're using and we're using it efficiently and effectively. Right. Yeah, like I said, it's and that's money down the drain. Let's just put it that way. I mean, if 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 they're if they're not using it, they're if they're dumping baths way before they should be, uh, it is lost money. So a, a good audit, you know, that's that's another topic, another day. But uh, but definitely, uh, you know, you know, you know, making sure that, like you said, it's being used properly and that they're you know not having to dump this so much. But uh, you know, I know we've talked in in a couple previous uh, episodes about rust prevention. Uh, and so how does this uh, coating process uh, actually, you know, protect metal surfaces from corrosion uh, and, and, you know, and keep the, keep the rust away? Sure. Um, kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. So there's a number of different corrosion inhibitors that can be used in conjunction with a pretreatment process. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times in processes where we're going to be going to a paint, mm -hmm. In a later step, we're going to use a water-based corrosion inhibitor, often referred to sometimes as just a water-based sealant. Um, these use of either salts or amines to basically neutralize any active surface sites on the coating and any voids in the bare metal to prevent corrosion from accelerating as it would naturally. Um, 
those are often used, like I said, and they can be applied anywhere from ambient sprayed on to heated so they can flash off a lot quicker, depending on how, how immediate you need this dry part to go into a paint booth. Mm-hmm. With some of the more traditional zinc and manganese phosphates, we tend to use a heavier corrosion inhibitor because a lot of times these parts aren't necessarily going to paint afterwards, but they're going to be going into the field as is. So we'll use um, either water-soluble oil or a water-displacing oil because those are able to kind of, I haven't touched on earlier, they can kind of seep into the pores and the crevices um, created with these coatings and provide some really good long-term protection. Um, Anytime you're applying one of these oil-based products, you'll also want to make sure that they're dried off effectively. That can be either done through a blasted air chamber or a... um, a spin dry um, because you don't want to have excess product on there. That's another going back to chemical conservation. If you can spin that off or maintain as much of that as possible and retain that, you can minimize your chemical use that way as well. Right. Right. Uh, You know, we spoke about, uh, you know, painting and let's talk about, uh, you know, pre-painting. So how does this pre-treatment help uh, a subsequent, you know, painting coating operation? Mm Mm-hmm. So with, um, oftentimes with painting, what we're trying to do is create a, basically a surface modification that's going to give you good, um, paint adhesion and rust protection. A lot of people don't realize, but your surface of the metal can rust underneath the paint as well. So when we do these pre-paint treatments, we are trying to address both of those concerns at the same time. Um, a common test that's done to evaluate how well the paint adheres to the surface is um, a paint adhesion test using your salt spray chamber, whereby you'll take um, a representative panel, you'll give it your pre-treatment and paint it accordingly, just as you would a part that you're going to put out into the field. And you would basically score it down the panel and place it in the salt spray chamber. And we're looking to get oftentimes several hundred, if not into thousands of hours of corrosion protection and paint adhesion. Um, So basically once you have done or finished the exposure time in the salt spray chamber, you'll take the panel out and then you'll take a uh, metal scraper and you basically go back and forth along that score that you previously created. And you try to see where is this paint flaking off of the part, anywhere it's flaking off, you're not having the best adhesion. And then we kind of basically take a average of those distances or the creep is what we call it from that score mark. And that average value will kind of give us a metric as to how effective that um, adhesion was in that pretreatment process. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, then how do you how do you how do you solve that then? It, it gives you it tells you a problem, right? It tells you how effective it is. So what what kind of steps do you do then to solve that issue? Sure. So um, with a lot of the prepaints we're using, primarily going to be an iron phosphate, where we tend to use sometimes some people use zinc, some people use zirconium but traditionally we're gonna use an iron phosphate in those sort of applications. And you would do a coating weight analysis to kind of see, all right, how heavy is this iron phosphate coating that we're putting on the surface prior to paint? How dense is it? How heavy is it? And if we need to get more protection, sometimes we'll increase that amount, or sometimes we'll look at doing a, um, a specialized sealant after the fact to increase the paint adhesion from there. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we, you've given a lot of information about this more than I probably even knew, but so, you know, in, in a summation in, in and in a, you know, kind of uh, in the solved category, 
how is the quality of a coding qualified? I mean, how do you know if it's working well? And also, how do you quantify it? I mean, how do you how do you know after all this is done, said and done? So um, that really kind of comes down to the industry or the application and how specific what what you're specifically looking from your pretreatment. Um, what sort of properties you're looking for. If you're going into a prepaint, like we said earlier, we're going to want to um, basically analyze indirectly the adhesion of the paint with the surface of the part. So we'll do the um, paint adhesion and salt spray. We'll also do just a bare corrosion study with the paint on there to see how long it takes for these parts to begin to rust. Another test that is commonly done is um, a crosshatch test where you basically do several score marks in an X pattern on the part, and you can basically put a piece of tape down and rip it off, and you see, all right, how well did the paint stay on this part after creating those scores and trying to remove it? It's another indirect way that we'll do that. Um, the coating weight is another quantifiable metric that's used in all sorts of phosphate coatings because that really gives you an indication of where's the distribution and what is the, um, size of the crystals that you're putting on to this part over a specified area. That can tell you a lot about the coatings that you're, um, that you're providing. And then also um, notify you ahead of time if you, if something's not going right in this process. Cause a lot of times visually you don't, you can tell some things visually, but um, you're not going to be able to quantify how dense or how heavy your coating is just by looking at it. You can tell, Oh, it's not working at all visually but you're not going to be able to say oh we're a little lighter than we need to be or we need to be a little heavier what way or the other gotcha gotcha wonderful uh that's great information i appreciate you uh because it's often a you know like i said people uh it's not a, a you know sort of glamorous step in the process but it's so essential uh for this for the for it all to work and like i said to reduce rejects and, and to get it right so absolutely yeah all right. Thanks, Connor. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of Hubbard Hall, Seen and Solved. It sounds like you've solved a lot of those problems, which is great. Uh, so uh, anyway, you people can, uh, viewers can uh, visit uh, HubbardHall.com to watch other episodes that we talked about. I know we referenced some of the ones we talked about on uh, rust prevention, some other things. But um, anyway, thank you for joining us, uh, Connor, today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Seen and Solved is brought to you by Hubbard Hall. Better results, less chemistry. For more podcasts, go to HubbardHall.com or wherever you get your podcasts.